Hey guys, this is Wellness Weekly on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Join hosts Rachel Kukaji and Director of Health Services Brock Latz as they talk with health professionals about their areas of expertise to give you tips on how to live well in every aspect of your life. You can also catch this episode on Spotify if you miss it on the radio. Hello and welcome back to Wellness Weekly. I'm Rachel Kukaji. And I'm Brock Lutz. And today it's just the two of us as I kind of interview Brock and we have some conversation about addiction. So Brock, thanks for your expertise sure. on this subject. And if you could first tell us, how would you define addiction? Well, I've, I would say I've been in the addiction field now for about 20 years. I, When I was in grad school, I worked with uh, sex offenders who actually had committed sexual offenses and then worked in an outpatient clinic for teenagers who were struggling with substance issues. And then after that, before I came to Hillsdale, I worked at a, at a, a hospital that had about 162 beds. And part of that was a 30 day rehab, mm. a, uh, a detox unit, and then also a an outpatient unit where we talked about a lot of substance issues mm-hmm. too. So, uh, so it's always been something a bit near and dear to my heart, and I I don't make any bones about the fact that I'm 12 years sober and grew up in a family mm-hmm. where there was a lot of addiction, and so, so really per- personally and professionally, probably a lot of different mm-hmm. um, experiences with it. So, yeah, so that's my background. So. Yeah. Could you actually, um, I was interested because you mentioned talking about people with substance abuse. Yeah. A, a lot of people who are students here probably hear the deans talk about how they send people to AA and, uh-huh. you know, alcohol is a big, you know, substance abuse on college campus. Sure. Is that something that can truly, and this can maybe go into you defining addiction, is that yeah. something that can truly develop into you see at the level of addiction at right. college age or is it more like, this can become a long-term problem we're yeah. trying to prevent. Right. If you could touch on that. That's a, a great bit. question. And I, I think I'll answer it, but then maybe the answer will become more clear as we mm-hmm. talk about addiction. But when whenever someone gets in trouble with alcohol or substances, so mm-hmm. did something illegal, were caught with, with some narcotic, were uh, received a DUI or something like that, I always say, I think one of the most difficult things to figure out is if a 20 year old has a substance problem. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're 40 and they've had tw- 20 or 25 years of problems, then you kind of know. Yeah. It's a little bit different if someone has their first DUI or if someone maybe just has gotten in trouble once or twice because of it and it's very difficult to kind of figure mm-hmm. that out. So I, I think what's challenging is that most people that do develop drug problems or, al- or other alcohol problems, because alcohol is a drug, um, but uh, they usually, signs of that are apparent in, in college, but not everyone who has those signs will go on to develop hmm. you know, that. So um, most of the data says that about 15% of people uh, in general are, are, uh, are alcoholics, hmm. you know? so about 15% of the, of the population. So, but it is very challenging to kind of look at that and to see. So a lot of times what, what we'll do is look at, well, what are signs that someone's addicted? Um, you say that you don't have a problem or you don't think that you do. And so, um, so what, what we do then is, is formulate what's a picture of if there were a problem so that people can just be aware of what those red flags might be. That's part of people going to AA because then 
they can be around other people who have problems and, and they can maybe see some of that in, the, in themselves. And uh, if not, they can always learn some about the 12 steps and mm -hmm. what the 12 steps entail. And they're really, a, you know, 12 steps are really a program about uh, looking and seeing how to just become a better person and how to do life in lots of ways. You know, you deal with resentments, you identify fears, you, um, you would admit your powerlessness over problems and that God can help you. Uh, you make amends for things you've done in your life. Uh, you look for character defects and try to improve those kind of things. So really it's a life program in lots of ways. And so, um, but that is a, a challenging piece. So when we do look at addiction and even kind of getting back to your problem, I think as I lay these things out, you can see mm -hmm. that it's pretty difficult then to say, oh, could you identify that in a 20 year old? Cause it becomes challenging. But I will say on the outset, as I, as I, as I re define these things that by how we're defining this, I can almost guarantee that none of us are coffee addicts. So that if, if you take nothing away from this program yeah. today, you're, you're probably not addicted to coffee. I just want to let you know. Great. Now you, you might be a, a dependent on it, but you're not a coffee addict. But, I think I'm a dependent. So, uh, just so you know. Yeah, me too. Uh, but um, there, there are a couple general features that most addictions share in common. One of them is that there is a, a, a compulsivity to it, that there is a mm -hmm. desire to do it and, and a compulsion, and that I will do that even if it's against my morals or my beliefs in some ways. So from my years working at a drug rehab, I, I can tell you some truly shameful things that I've heard stories wise of things people will do to get drugs. Mm -hmm. I have never heard of anyone doing those things to get a cup of Penny's coffee, which we all know is the best coffee in Hillsdale, right? Yes, and best so, coffee for on sure. campus. Um, <laughs> So, uh, but, but if someone's addicted to something, they will, they will do things outside of their moral scope to fulfill that, that, that desire in whatever way it's repetitive. So it's not just something they do once, but, but there is a, a cycle to it and they, they will do it over and over. And the, the third piece, uh, that it's progressive, not only will they do it over, uh, more and more over time, but they also the, the frequency of it will progress so that that there is, you know, you drink, you know, uh, six, a six pack, but, you know, six months later, you're drinking a 12 pack and then you move on to a fifth and, mm -hmm. you know, those kind of things. And then lastly, with any uh, mental health issue, actually, one of the things that we always look at when we see some symptoms is the idea that it's somehow disruptive to your life that addiction, even again, going back to coffee, uh, if you don't get your coffee or if you drink too much of it, it's really not going to disrupt you. It's really not going to cause any major significant problems. But if someone has a gambling addiction, someone has pornography addiction, someone has a substance abuse uh, addiction and, and they, they engage in it, often it does cause quite a bit of disruption to their lives. Mm. And sometimes if they don't do it or act upon it, that will also cause problems because people have withdrawal symptoms and some of those kind of things too. So really when we talk about addiction, that's kind of the essence of what we mean when we say someone's addicted. And I mentioned several things that, that people turn to. Um, and, um, you know, so th there are a lot of different, different avenues that, that can, can be, um, can be acted upon. What about 
social media addiction mm-hmm. or screen time because that's something yeah. people throw around but people also say coffee addiction so sure, right. where is that in the spectrum yeah so one thing that happens with addiction is that and this is why it's referred to often as a disease and mm-hmm. a lot of people do not like that term and I don't have a problem with that term. I don't have a problem saying that alcoholism is a disease. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that someone isn't responsible for their actions. It just means that there are a set of symptoms and that describe it and that there's a prescribed course of treatment by actually uh, to actually heal from it. And so that's okay. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. that, I mean, it doesn't mean that a person then doesn't have any responsibility for, for um for what their behavior might be if they act upon that. And in, in AA, they say, uh, I didn't choose to be an alcoholic, but recovery is my responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I think that sums up the essence of that. So what happens in someone's brain when, they, when, they're, doing their, that when they're doing these addictive things is that the, the pleasure center of your brain, which is your nucleus incumbens, uh, just goes crazy. Mm-hmm. So uh, sexual activity, certain foods, gambling, uh, substances, uh, uh, th- those are things that, that release an enormous amount of dopamine into your body and it feels good and you enjoy it and it, and you and you go crazy with it over time. What happens though, is that in order to continue to get the same release, a lot of times you either have to do more of it or it has to be more risky or mm-hmm. something along those lines because you want that brainwash, uh, that that release of things. And so what's really interesting is that there are a lot of studies done on social media and uh, and and screen addiction and those kind of mm-hmm. things. And you asked me when we were talking earlier about what is what is heavy social media yeah, use and what? some of those kind of things. And I, I did a quick Google search and and came across uh, I think it's civic science that that defines so I, I would assume most studies adhere to this standard uh, that that it's four hours a day of so, of social media and or app use. Hmm. Um, so what's interesting is that when you when you do PET scans of people that have a gambling addiction or cocaine addiction or are heavy users like that, uh, their PET scans of their brains look almost identical. Heavy users of social media. Of, of social media and those things. Wow. And so, um, so, you know, because what it does is it creates holes in your brain hmm. because of the fact that your brain isn't firing the way that it, that it should and is looking for this fix. Mm-hmm. So you'll see deficiencies, especially in the front part of the brain, where uh, where we we usually associate uh, goal directed behavior and uh, an executive functioning and you know rational thought and those kind of things, and you can understand if someone's doing things against their morals on a consistent mm-hmm. basis, that part of the brain gets be- becomes quite deprived pretty quickly. Wow. Um, so the, the of course studying social media and heavy social media use and its effects are are very popular. I mean, s- some of the of the findings that that c- that are that are pretty consistent are that if you if you are uh, the the higher your use of social media, so we're not even talking about that four hour a day, mm-hmm. you know, people that um, that if if you if you're using that consistency uh, or that that consistently, that you are uh, more anxious, 
that you're you have a a, a, a poorer view of your body, mm. uh, that you're more lonely, um, that you report more depressed symptoms, and that the more you use social media, the more you report those things. Mm. And the the corollary is true too that the less you use, actually, the less depressed you report, the more happy, the the more connected with people mm-hmm. you do feel good about yourself. And, uh, and so that's, that's pretty shocking mm-hmm. because I think that, um, that quite honestly, a lot of people use social media and don't always think that their mental health is connected to mm-hmm. those things. You're listening to Wellness Weekly on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. This week, it's just Brock and I talking about addiction. Right now, you, Brock was just, you were going into details about social media use mm-hmm. and increased social media affecting mental illness, decreased um, decreasing mm-hmm. it. I think that also ties back to the idea of contentment and it mm-hmm. being a matter of perspective. Yeah. Because, you know, if you're in a position where you have a comfortable lifestyle, say you're newly married or you're at a new job or something, and so there's there's adjustments there and you've left an old place behind, I think it's harder to get established in that new thing if you're seeing, you know, people posting about that old place, whether that's yeah. college, you know, last week we talked with Brienne about grieving, leaving college community. Mm-hmm. I just think it, it allows for a lot more comparison yeah. than you do in your daily life because you're seeing the quote unquote intimate details yeah. of so many other people's lives that you don't see on a daily basis. And they're all the good details. Well, and right? I was just going to say they're filtered details. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not really how people are, are doing and when people post those things, we usually think that that's quite odd, that you're like, mm-hmm. that's a little inappropriate for you to be posting on Instagram, yeah. you know. We don't want your diary. That's right. <laughs> and and yet, if it, otherwise, it's this kind of sterilized view of their lives, and you're not really getting a clear picture of, oh, this person struggles sometimes, mm-hmm. or, and, and, and so what, what really, so many things are being said in, in data. I re- read this great book recently called The Soul of Shame mm. and great description of shame and how it affects all these different aspects of our lives. And, and then his conclusion uh, you know, at the end of the book is, look, basically we, we counteract this by being known, by mm. really engaging in sincere relationships with people that we know, uh, that, that we're involved in the mess of their lives and vice versa. And, and you think if someone spends most of their time on social media, they get none of that. They're Absolutely. not really telling people their stories and welcoming people into their lives. And really they're seeing a fictitious, superficial, filtered view of mm-hmm. other people's lives, which like you said, can then leave people with the idea of like, man, they look really happy. Yeah. You know, I mean, how many of us have known that like someone's marriage or relationship is falling apart? But then you look at their social media page and you're like, wait a minute, you look like you're doing pretty well to me, you know? And so it's, it's very challenging. Yeah. And I think we have a responsibility also as users of social media as to how Mm -hmm. we put ourselves out there. You know, it's understandable if someone's engaged, if someone's getting married, if someone's having a baby, it's understandable that you want to announce those things and people, you know, Mm. used to send out more save the dates or like we're having a baby cards and maybe it's easier and cheaper to just post about it to your friends. That's totally understandable. But I think there's also a tone and sometimes 
I have found it's interesting. It is the people that talk the most of our life so great that are the ones that it's that actually maybe struggling, maybe struggling the most. So I think, yeah. you know, examining your motives as to why you're posting what you're posting. It's a really good point. Um, yep. And who mm-hmm. you're glorifying in that and yep. how you might be making other people feel. Now, we can't endlessly be concerned about other people's feelings, but mm-hmm. thinking about what you're putting out there and then thinking about, again, how much you use it, it goes back to also how much time you're spending with people in person. When I'm yeah. here at school, I'm so busy with people, I don't feel the pull to be on social media as much. Right. But when I'm on a break and yeah. I'm just at home, you have more downtime. Yeah. And then it's that vicious cycle because that's also when you're doing less, you're missing people. Probably better to just pick up the phone. Well, you're, you're right. I, I also think that sometimes those times of feeling lonely that it's okay to sit in those times. Mm. You know, it's okay to say, I, I feel lonely. Is there something else I can do? Is there a yeah. real way that I can connect with someone? Um, or, m- you know, maybe just realizing that it's important for us to tolerate that feeling of loneliness and, and learn how to just sit with silence. Yeah. You know, I, I, um, when I, when I see students at, uh, at the health center, a lot of times, I will say, uh, oh, hey, go ahead and up to my office and I'll, I'll be up there in just a minute. Mm-hmm. So literally there's like a 30 to 45 second gap. And most of the students know that I do this, right? It is amazing to me how many students can't just sit for 45 seconds mm-hmm. on my couch. You know, I've got great artwork. I have a Rembrandt in my office. It's not an original, you know, yeah. uh, or, or look out. I have four windows in my office, you know they can't just sit and be still. And I, I, and I do that sometimes. Sometimes if I'm waiting in line, I can't just look around me. But I, I, I do think that part of that as well is learning how to not just tolerate, but to welcome periods of silence. Mm-hmm. And um, someone that I'm, I've been reading a lot of recently, you know, he said, you know, we need 15 or 20 minutes of just silence throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Just Quiet yourself, breathe, maybe meditate on a, on a scripture or something like that. But phone is off, doors closed, just quiet. And, you know, and I, I, this semester I've, I've been, when I, when I go to the, to the gym two days a week, um, I, I put my phone on do not disturb. And, you know, it's interesting. It's become kind of my sacred an hour mm. and a half of the week where I'm just listening to a podcast and it's just, it's just me. And I, I think we need to get used to that a little bit more. Um, that author, he, he also says, if you, if you learn how to do that d- throughout the day, then when you when your brain becomes frazzled and you need to shut your brain off, you'll be used to be to, to do it because you've practiced it hmm. and you'll you'll be better at quieting your brain when it starts getting noisy and overactive and I, I think wow. I think we need that you mm-hmm. know so wow I feel like I could we could do a whole episode on quiet, silence silence but quiet, I like yeah. I like how you mentioned the gym because that also when we're so focused on efficiency and trying to fit so many things into the day mm-hmm. we can do you know, the mental health of dealing with addiction, like yeah. phone addiction and the physical health that like we talked about with Chris, right. you can do some of those things at the same yeah. time. Right. And yeah. what you said about phones, that's 
convicting. I'll tell our, our listeners, he told that to a group of RAs at a meeting a couple weeks ago. And then I went to dinner right afterwards. And I intentionally left my phone in my bag in a cubby outside of the dining hall because I was like, maybe I'm addicted, I'm addicted. to my phone. <laughs> and then the person I was getting a meal with got up for a couple minutes to get more food as we do in the dining hall. And I'm sitting there by myself. And that's when you usually would just check right. your texts, yep. scroll through You're Instagram. You're missing something right now. And all of a sudden, I'm just sitting there, not even thinking about what I was missing as much as what do I do with myself? Right. I'm all alone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not that people really care. So mm. it's it's also like a social thing of like if you're on your phone, you look like you're busy and right. you you've got your life together. You're doing things, and it's mm. weird how it it becomes a kind of social currency yeah. at least here. And I just had to sit there and people watch. Mm. But since then, I've done some people watching even with my phone next to me. So right. yeah. I I was That's encouraged good. to try to work on it. And now I know if I ever go visit with you, That's right. that um. I will not check my phone That's because right. I'm being not. tested. Yep. That's right. I'm going to watch So anybody you. who listens, yep. you get a secret, yep. you know, hint. You pass the test if you don't check your phone yep. in the first 45 seconds. That's right. You know, one of the one of the most interesting things that I, I noticed as I was looking into research with this was they, they took two groups of people who were experiencing the, the same thing like sunset at the Grand Canyon. And they had one group of people just experience it. Mm -hmm. They had another group of people uh, post on social media about it and take a picture of it. Then they came back about three months later and to see who remembered the most hmm. details of it. And the first group by far remembered what it was like, what the colors wow. were, all these kind of things. So it's interesting that that we're, we think we're experiencing things better by interacting with them on social media, but we're actually better if we can just learn how to be present mm -hmm. and just be where we're at. And yeah. rem we try to remember them by capturing photos, right? right? But yeah. maybe you can just have that photo in your brain. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. a nice example. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for yeah, sharing your expertise so. this week, Brock. Yeah. You've been listening to Wellness Weekly on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Catch us next week or our previous episodes on Spotify and wherever else you get podcasts.